Over at OK. Oh, someone got a text. Message. Hello, sports fans. Welcome back. You're listening to the Danalysis Fantasy Football Podcast with your main FPL friends, Dan and Nat. If this is your first time, hi and welcome, and we're mighty pleased to have you. Now that Game Week 1 has officially run its course, bonus points have been delivered, dreams have been crushed, we're here in service of the people to try and make sense of everything that's happened and to begin to look at the best way to approach Game Week 2 and beyond. So, Natalie, I believe you had a PSA. Yeah, I do. I would like to reassure everybody that you don't need to panic and no drastic action needs to be taken yet probably please don't make any rash decisions and definitely do not make any sideways moves for example if you have chris wood do not go and buy barns it's not (laughs) worth it it's silly don't do it not yet for this episode like really we're just kind of talking about what we've seen we're not particularly advocating to get anyone in or out Hmm. unless there's a player in your squad who is long-term injured and you didn't realise before the start of the season. Uh, Or it's a player who definitely will not start because actually there's someone else who's taken their place, like in the transfer window or whatever. Unless those, those two circumstances have happened, I would advise not making any transfers this week and banking your free transfer to maybe make two next week. And that's a particularly good way to... um... It's a good thing to do with your transfers because if you think about it, firstly, we don't have an awful lot of data yet in terms of how certain teams are going to perform over a longer period of time. But also you may realise that you want a striker in two weeks' time, a premium striker, whereas you don't necessarily have the flexibility to do that. If you make one transfer now, you mm-hmm. have to take a minus four. If, you, if you're running with like a, a cheaper front line in order to have Salah and Sterling, for example. So mm-hmm. having two transfers, it gives you the flexibility to rebalance your team if needed. For certain. So my point is like, it's impossible to have Salah and Sterling and Kane and Aubameyang and whoever else all in your team at once. Like you can't have all of those premium players. So there's going to be a little bit of you that when Kane scores two goals, you're going to be a bit like, well, that's annoying. But (laughs) you just have to get on with it because you couldn't have you couldn't have him and two other players who are priced over 12 million in your team. You literally just couldn't do it like you couldn't fit it in. The rest of your team would be so trash. So, yeah, you you can do it. Oh, you can do it. But you'd have to have like five players who don't play. Exactly. Or or just, you know, people who get two points every game. And yeah. it's very easy early on to be uh, to be blinkers, especially when you see, you know, the big the big money players delivering. Mm. You can start to think and maybe maybe this applies more to people who are new to the game. Um, but you start to think that, oh, my God, I need to get these guys because they're like yeah. going to score every week. And that's why they're priced that highly. But actually, there will be weeks when. Sterling is on the bench for whatever reason mm-hmm. or or Sterling blanks or gets a yellow card and so does Aubameyang and so does Kane and you do have weeks like that which is where the cheaper guys really come to the fore and really really impress for you and that's as part of the reason why it's all about balance and not just going all in on the heavy hitters otherwise everyone would just have four like 11 million 12 million players in their team yeah and be done with it um another thing as well i think a lot of people got caught out um with at least one player on their bench who's got at least six points and Mm. it's just for the first week you just have no idea how things are going to go and i think you can't feel too upset about it the like the positive is that you have that player in your squad yeah and you like that's always how i look at it when i'm annoyed that i've left lewis dunk second on my bench is that okay, yeah, I've done that, but they're actually in my squad, so I don't need to worry about it. I know that they can deliver and they can do this. All I've got to do is rotate correctly, and I've got all the points. Well, if I remember correctly, like there was a, a bit of a debate, uh, or, or like a... Debate's the wrong word, uh, but a conflict with you over whether or not to play Lewis Dunk on week one. Always. There's a conflict (laughs) with me on whether to play him every single week. Yeah. Yeah. And he absolutely smashed it and got a really, really nice assist for Oh, it was so good. 
It's very good. It was one of the things that Lewis Dunk has sort of spoken about, how he he sees himself as a, a defender who can play the ball out the back and, and he's not just, you know, boring sort of old man English defender who mm. gets stuck in. He did the same thing against Palace last season, like yeah. the last season as well, I think. Yeah, so he's he's shown he has that in his locker and that's the kind of thing you look at and you think, wow, like this is something I didn't even necessarily know this guy could do. Uh, it starts to inform your later decisions. So on that on that note, let's start with a short summary of our team performances in the first game week of the season. Obviously, it is a long season, so this is a really, really bad time to make sweeping uh, conclusions or judgments. But mm. are you happy with your start so far? Yeah, I think so. It's hard at the moment because the website is trash and... We don't even know what the average, like what the final average score was for this game week yet. But yeah, I assume I've done fairly average. I've got 71 points, which is absolutely fine by me. Is that with um, with like bonus and subs and everything? Yeah, I only had Vardy playing today. Yeah. So yeah, that's everything. Yeah. Big winners, big losers. Uh, Salah and Sterling were my, were where the points came. Yeah. Naturally. Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> you know, to be quite honest, Salah, Sterling, Zinchenko and Pope are the only players who scored more than two points other than Townsend who got three. Yeah, so... I, I had more or less exactly the same week uh, as you did. So I'm finishing on 73 uh-huh. and the difference um, it's is literally that I captained Sterling and I also had four returns in my team. But as mm. you were just talking about a moment ago with the points on bench situation yeah i had nick pope on my bench with a strong eight points yeah and i decided to go for angus gunn as my starting goalkeeper which looked like quite a great choice actually until about the 60th minute in that game and then uh the wheels came off (laughs) yeah and burnley became the the guys who won so um it was it was an interesting scenario because i've if you listen to the the preseason podcast we did, I was quite big on Southampton. I still am. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, that was that was gutting. So it could have been on eighty, but you know, you win some, you lose some. And with goalkeeper rotation, that is always a way. Uh, Sterling captain was the real big winner for me. Yeah. I also had a goal from Aubameyang. Unfortunately, no bonus points. Yeah, I was really pleased that there were no bonus points <laughs> for Aubameyang. Um, and who else did I have? I had. Got it. Van Dyke and Luca Dean. So Dean, who I wasn't so hot on last season, but I think he's just well priced this year and Everton have a, a good sort of run. And Van Dyke, he scored. But uh, yeah, got Tielemans coming off the bench for three points. Basically, the rest of my team was either three points or one point. Very disappointed with Fraser. But, you know, it is what it is. And we move on. So... Let's move on to look at the winners of game week one. And I promise to keep this part brief, but Liverpool and Man City are very much the backbone of any good FPL team as it stands. And as expected, they both got off to a flying start with their opponents keeping up their exceptional goals conceded records in their <laughs> respective fixtures. So West Ham, in seven competitive games, how many goals do you think West Ham have conceded against City? I, I don't know, but I know another stat. Yeah, it's, it'll be the last five, right? Yeah, but it's like it's like thirty or something. Yeah, it, so it's twenty-five in their last seven, and that's right. competitive games. So that doesn't include their Asia League trophy that they played in July, mm-hmm. and that's really let down by their. There's a one-nil in there um, oh. where City beat them one-nil. Every other game is like four-one, five-one, five-nil. Norwich have conceded 31 in their last eight versus Liverpool. Oh. But that's slightly skewed because... Yeah, I guess that spans a really long period of time. Exactly, right? yeah. Some of it is like 2014, 2015, because they haven't actually played them for, for a good few years now. Um, uh, there was a stat about West Ham. Oh, I can't remember. It was something like they conceded 77 goals in at the, the new stadium. Yeah. But, and 22 of those have been from man city or something yeah like yeah or or like a third of the goals that they have conceded at their stadium have been scored by man city or something yeah stupid 
it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I saw 22 goals in five meetings yeah. with Pep Guardiola's yeah. Man City, which is not nice. And that was before yesterday when they added five more to that. So mm. not ideal. Um, but all of that said, there's not really much to see here with these two teams. Uh, Raheem Sterling looks set to continue his exceptional goal scoring form, as does Mo Salah. Uh, your mileage may vary on whether you can afford to go without one of these. I'm currently running without Salah and we'll we'll see as time goes on. And maybe it's going to be the form of some of the other premiums that will create some problems. And that is very much why we suggest saving a transfer this week and... Uh, for now, yeah, these guys are top class and I don't think they're going to slow down. Um, other notable sort of things or events. So Zinchenko maintained his place, uh, but I would watch out for the new signing, Cancelo. He naturally wasn't really sharp enough to come in because he's, you know, he just joined Man City on transfer deadline day, I think. But I am not sure whether he's been signed more as a left back or more as a right back. So it could be Walker that he's threatening or it could be Zinchenko. And my eye is on Zinchenko right now because he is sort of the weak link. And obviously there's been problems with Mendy. Um, I think City really needed to have someone reliable for that left-back spot. Good thing is Cancelo is apparently a very, very good attacker. So he's also priced at 5.5. And if he becomes a mainstay, could be a good option. Um Liverpool conceded a sloppy goal, but two of their three defenders still walked away with attacking returns. That's Van Dijk with the goal and Trent Alexander-Arnold with the assist. Um, Cheap option Bernardo didn't play. Probably not any major concern. Likewise, I wouldn't bet on Mahrez to score 14 points every week. And at 8.5, probably a few price points too high for the lack of starting 11 security. Yeah, I think that Mahrez triple assist went really under the radar. I think people won't realise that that happened. Yeah. Do you think that's because of people naturally just sort of turning a blind eye to Mahrez because of last season? Or do you think it's just it's something else? I don't know. He's definitely too risky to have in your team, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it surprised me because I hadn't realised, like, didn't remember that he'd won the penalty. And I didn't realise that it was him setting up that Sterling goal that Sterling looped over the keeper. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't even just notice and we watched the full game. Yeah. Uh, so that's how much I care about Mahrez. Well, that's that's a weird thing. I guess Mahrez back in his Leicester days, he was like the star of the show. He mm. was scoring a lot of the goals. And in this game, he was just sort of floating about, like assisting other people. So it, I, I kind of see how that happened. I mean, I was surprised when I saw his score. I was like... He must have assisted all of them because I definitely don't remember him scoring. Um, the penalty was really the only one I remembered. But yeah, 8.5, too expensive. Uh, not really not really worth looking at him. Will be interesting to watch that. I know a lot of people went for Bernardo. Um, I, ho- I, think I didn't m- realise as many people had gone for him as they had until yeah. he wasn't playing. And I was like, what the hell are you all doing? Well, that's the funny thing, right? Like He was probably the most nailed-on starter of anyone last season besides maybe Laporte and first game of the season that guy isn't on the team sheet it's it's a very strange one but I'd I'll be watching that with intent not that I'm really interested in any other City players besides maybe a defender at some point hold up a minute I just wanted to ask about Liverpool's defense without Allison. oh okay good point um, so obviously I only have one Liverpool defensive player because I'm sane. You're not big on the risk. I know, it's, I'm not at all. So it's reported today that Alisson could be out for between four and eight weeks. Yeah. So with Adrian at the helm, what would you recommend for anyone with more than one uh Liverpool defender. Well actually first, I guess if you have Allison, the problem is that your substitute you probably need keeper, to transfer, right? <laughs> yeah. Your subkeeper is probably a four point a four million guy who doesn't play. Yeah. In that case I would that I would make a transfer this week and I would just change my keeper. Yeah. But if you have two or more Liverpool defenders, what would you suggest at this juncture? So I am one of those people with two or more Liverpool defenders. I have Robertson and Van Dijk. 
I think, like I, I said earlier, two of the three defenders walked away with attack and returns. I think if your defenders are any of those three, uh, Robertson, Van Dijk or Alexander-Arnold, I think you should probably keep them for now and maybe look back in two weeks' time and, and make a, a definitive call. It's, it's quite tough because you're projecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that Alisson is known for being really good at is he just saves you know, 99% of the shots, maybe even 100% of the shots that he should save. Um, and that sort of reliability is not matched by many goalkeepers. Adrian... We don't have the best memories of him with his performances for West Ham in, in recent memory, but he's going going to be playing behind a much, much more assured defensive system. Yeah. And you have to, I think you have to, if you've made the pun for two Liverpool players in your back line, you probably just have to ride it out and not panic too much because that's a surefire way to just screw things up. I mean, especially when you're looking at defenders it is tough. And I mean, I, I did kind of expect that Liverpool might concede a goal on the first night anyway. I'm not too worried about it. I think it's, we need to look and see if that's, if Adrian playing makes it more indicative of a pattern rather than just a, a coincidence. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I'd, I'd hold fire for now. I mean, they've got Southampton next, which is a game I can very much see Southampton scoring in because... Danny Ings uh, against Danny his former Ings. club. So there's a former club narrative. There's also the fact that they play exactly the kind of football that can hurt a team like Liverpool defensively. And I, I think that could create a lot of problems uh, defensively for them. But you don't, you don't win at FPL by changing your defence every week. You know, like it's a position where you really see the benefit over the course of a season of having players who consistently return because we had a lot of clean sheets this week. And I think we could put that more down to rustiness um, on the attacking side of things than the defences in this league being solid. Because if we look at last season, I don't know there are many defences I would trust to keep a clean sheet. Liverpool were one of the only ones. Even City, I had question marks about. So, yeah, I, I hold fire. How do you feel generally? Like, imagine you're the kind of person who has more than one Liverpool defender. Mm, I don't know. Would I, you, okay, no, let me pose this I question think, to you. Yes. So if you're in a situation now where your preference is to hold a transfer for another week, but mm. you have two Liverpool defenders, would you forego that that preference in order to get a Liverpool player out or would you run the risk? I mean, I guess it depends on fixtures. Like after today, like maybe I'd if that if I was in that position, I'd be tempted to get like Wan Bissaka in or to get Luca Dean in. Hmm. Um but actually I wouldn't want to get a City player in because I can't remember who they play next week. Spurs. But, yeah. So I don't want to do that because that's silly. So yeah, maybe I would hold. The problem is, I don't know how I feel about benching a Liverpool defender yeah. because that's so much money then just sitting on your bench. Like, that's why I wouldn't want to do it. Like, I've paid seven million for this man. Why would I want him sitting on the bench? And there's a certain element of fighting yourself there because you're like, if you get it, if you do that and you get it wrong, yeah. you kind of hate yourself. And secondly, like the reason you pay that much money or that much of your budget for a player like that is because they can be good in the harder games as well. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I, I think I'm still, I'm going to ride it out for now and we'll see how it goes over the next few weeks and, and reconsider. My dog is just running around on the floor. Being an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds a bit like slipping on ice, <laughs> like, and the floor's super slippery. Like you've just yeah. put like oil all over the floor <laughs> and the dog's just like scrambling to move. Okay, where was I? Ashley Barnes, 6.5. Also, Johan Berg-Goodmanson at 6.0 and Burnley Defenders, uh, who range between 4.5 and 5.0. They were pretty good. Um, Two goals for Ashley Barnes, one goal for Goodmanson and a clean sheet. What do we think of these guys? I mean, maybe the question here is how are their fixtures going forward? And do we maybe write them off considering what they've got 
Arsenal, Wolves and Liverpool in their next three. So again, a good reason for not maybe making that transfer just yet. Yeah, I don't think that Burnley can't score away at Arsenal and away at Wolves. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to play Wood because I think that will happen. But obviously they're not the best fixtures uh, for attackers. So yeah, I would hold off for a minute if you're like, oh my God, I can't believe Barnes. How good. What a great man. Yeah, I'd maybe hold off until after the first international break. Hmm. Defensively though, I don't know. I also don't know if I would get in any defenders, but for those who have Nick Pope, like I'm not playing him next week because I can rotate, but I still wouldn't be particularly opposed to playing him in these fixtures because even if he doesn't keep a clean sheet, we all know that he's very good at the whole saving thing. Yeah. Uh, and, that, you know, he got a bonus point this week and a uh, point for th- three saves, I think, as well. He finished yeah. with eight points, so he must have done something right. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I don't think he's a bad shout. The other defenders, maybe slightly less so because, you know, clean sheet gone. What have they got? Nothing. Yeah, exactly. And they don't offer a lot going the other way mm-hmm. so uh, i think the assists for the goals who'd they come from um peters oh yeah i don't yeah, know okay. who that man so, is i'm afraid so peters he was the um he used to play for stoke i think he was Ooh. on he's the one with weird hair he looks like he's from lazy town or something he's got <laughs> i don't this... remember what he looks like but now you said that he used to play for stoke now and I, I recall yeah yeah so I never really thought he was a good player, but that could just be because he played for Stoke. Is yeah, he just he... coming now? Like he's just gone to Burnley yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Signed in the summer. I'm guessing it was oh. a, a free transfer or a cheap transfer or something. Um, but yeah, like he, he got a little assist. I wouldn't expect he that. He got two. He got two assists. Oh, sorry, he got two assists. And the other one was no assist because it was just Goodmanson nicking the ball from, I can't remember who it was, but someone on the left for Southampton. Oh, it's Bertrand. That was it. Um, impressive probably not going to repeat that too many times this season so again Mm. it's one of those situations where game week one you look at that you'll be like oh that guy got loads of assists and a clean sheet great let's get him in probably not probably not for the next game but like you say Pope is you know anyone who who played two seasons ago would know how reliable an option Pope can be and he saved a few penalties that season like I definitely strongly consider him Maybe even if you're getting rid of Allison, like he is a guy to look at in terms of being good value for money. Um, but you are projecting that he's going to make saves because he does have a few hard fixtures coming up. I'm torn on whether to play him or Gun next week now because I have this sort of do I oh, double that's down? Horrible. Do I double down on Gun against Liverpool and hope that he like makes loads of saves or? Do I have to accept defeat and go for Pope, who's playing Arsenal? I mean, mm. I set this up kind of deliberately because I like those fixtures for both of my goalkeepers because I don't expect them to keep a clean sheet, but I expect them to make saves. And now I'm wondering, like, I haven't played Gunn often and walked away with him making a bunch of saves. So that is a question, but we'll come back to that later. Um, Everton defenders and, by extension, Palace defenders were winners this week. I don't know what this says. Um, I think no. Everton had a very, very good pre-season defensively. I think Palace looked like they were going to be held together with tape for the beginning of the season. But there we have it. They both kept a clean sheet. Everton, obviously, they're quite expensive, but they did have a fairly decent record towards the end of the season last year. Uh, Coleman's available at 5.5 and he looked really good. You've got Dean for 6.0. Um, I think Palace have the likes of Van Arnholt at 5.5 and Kelly, who played the full 90. Um, he's at 4.0. So there are options there for sure. I don't know if this is more a case of both attacks being really bad or both defences being good. What did you think overall? I'd stopped paying that much attention by this point. But mm. I can't imagine it was a case of um, Everton's defence being extremely good against Palace's excellent attack. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I'd say that neither could, could was really cared for doing the goals. <laughs> well, they scored, uh, Everton scored three 
goals in seven preseason friendlies. Well, quite. And I think if you needed to know where the problem was for Everton, there's a, a light shining on it right now. Mm. Um, obviously, they picked up Moise Ken and um, Alex Awobi, although Alex Awobi doesn't have a particularly good goal scoring or assist record in the Premier League. But they've certainly tried to address that problem. And I think it'll be interesting to watch what sort of impact uh, the likes of Ken have in the coming weeks. But yeah, I mean, for me, I think it looks promising for Everton because they have good fixtures. I think Luca Dean put a lot of good crosses in. Coleman found himself in some good positions. I think if there's anyone you're going for from Everton, it has to be one of those two. Um, I know it was actually... Yeri Mina and uh, Michael Keane who walked away with the bonus points but I think on balance it's usually going to be one of Coleman or Dean you know who they're they're going to be getting in there and getting assists and maybe goals as well so those are the guys to look at defensively um John McGinn and Tyrone Mings both did well against Spurs John McGinn with his first goal in the Premier League and it was a lovely one and uh Tyrone Mings assisting it so although they conceded three goals I thought they looked really really promising in this game uh they had a lot of energy and then they just tired like later on in the game round about the sort of 70th 80th minute mark they were still doing fine and then uh just seemed to have lost contra- uh, concentration after that and it all fell apart. But I was really, really impressed with this performance. And I think at 5.5 from McGinn, that's got to be someone you have your eye on if they can if they can maintain a level of performance like this going forward. And also Tyrone Mings at 4.5. I don't love it because I don't love promoted teams defensively, but he did pick up a nice assist and they did actually look very good defensively for the most part it it really was a few mistakes that led to um Spurs really taking control of the match so and you know why they look so good defensively why's that Tom Heaton you know what you're probably right you're absolutely right I didn't even put him in here but I think although he didn't have the points to reflect it he did have a very good game and you know what's mad as well Spurs in the first half had only had like seven shots yeah. And in the second half had like 20 something. Hmm. And I was like, well, that's very interesting because Heaton's only made three saves. They've yeah. only scored three goals. So where the hell are the rest of the shots gone? From what I remember, like, it's one of those things where I didn't feel like Spurs really, uh, they obviously did enough to win and, and Villa did start to tire. But if you look at the goal that they equalised with, is Tangi Ndombele, I believe that's how you say it. He just scored a brilliant long shot that was, mm, you know, it was un- very good. unstoppable. And that's what you, that's a great example of you get what you pay for. They have spent, what, like 50, 60 million on this guy. And he's got them out of a hole when they needed him to. And that was the only way they were getting a goal against that Villa defence. And then after that happened, Grealish makes his mistake after Grealish, actually. Notable mention for him. I don't think he's going to be a big assister or scorer this year, but he he did set up a very good chance for Trezeguet. And, and generally, this Villa side, there are a lot of players that I'd be keeping an eye on because uh, they're well-priced. And if they can maintain that form, they could be great. But yeah, it was the Grealish mistake that ended up leading to um, to the Kane goal after that. And then it was just the wheels came off because they, they were rattled. But no, I think they were really, really encouraging. Harry Kane and Dombele and maybe slightly more debatably Lucas Moura and Lamella all walked away with returns. What do we think of those? I mean, they play Man City next, so probably a good good time to not bring them in, right? Yeah, I th- look, I still don't care for Spurs. <laughs> I like to pretend they don't exist, just like I do with Arsenal with fantasy. I just pretend it doesn't exist. I pretend it's yeah. not happening. It's just easier. It's less of a problem, isn't it? If they're, they're not ever going to be part of the conversation, then it doesn't really matter. Quite. Yeah. I, I think it's worth at least shouting out Harry Kane. I mean, he is someone who I said would be a little bit of a creator this season. And I do think he took that role a lot in this game. It just so happened that there were two moments where he found himself in the striker spot and he did what Harry Kane does and he scored them. So I think if he was playing, I was going to say if he was playing Aston Villa every week, it'd be great. But actually, it was really uh, that Jack Grealish mistake where he, he lost possession in his own half. It really it was really the first opportunity that Kane had that was, you know, a real good opportunity. So... 
I'm not I'm not 100% sold on him, but I do think he's looked a lot sharper than he did last season in these uh in this opening game. Uh moving on from them, Lewis Dunk and the bench Brighton strikers all put in good performances. Yeah, it's impressive, isn't it? So, Andone and Malpay? Mopay, yeah. Mopay, obviously. Yeah, both came off the bench and scored. So, that's quite promising for Brighton. Probably just start those lads and forget about Glenn Murray and uh, I was going to say, not so promising for Glenn and, and Lucardia, really. So No, but, I mean, should Glenn Murray still be starting? I don't know. Brighton as a whole, you know, they put in a very good performance. Mm-hmm. And I think the question about Brighton is, can they sustain good results? Because they, they have a few tricky fixtures coming up. They have West Ham next and it's at home, but it's a game where it's really hard to project because West Ham just played Man City. So what does that mean? Like uh, anyone could get hammered 5-6-0 by Man City. Um and then Southampton and then Man City after that. So I would probably hold fire unless you already have those guys on yeah. uh, bringing them in. But certainly, I, I think it was a really encouraging start for matey boy Graham Potter. Um, Chris Meppham, but I would proceed with caution with him. He scored a goal for Bournemouth, of course. Uh, I think they signed him in January last season. And he kind of played a few games, but he, yeah, he got a nice little goal. And then Bournemouth, as Bournemouth do, conceded a goal. Um, the rest of their team is what I'd be a little bit worried about. But again, it's one of those where it's like, would you really bring in a Bournemouth defender? I mean, he's scored his goal now. Is he going to do it every week? Yeah, Probably no, not. definitely not. I think the thing about Bournemouth is like, I didn't realise, I would have obviously stopped this if I'd realised sooner. Charlie has three Bournemouth attackers. And okay. I saw his team and was like, what the hell is this? Hmm. Like, so naturally you're going to be disappointed this week because one of them did like, one assist yeah but, you can't have that that's no <laughs> that's so risky but I think the thing with Bournemouth anyway that we say every time Bournemouth play uh is that you'd like you just never know what you're gonna get and we could wait three weeks and then they'll go on a streak where they'll just score like tens of goals yeah and I think you just have to kind of wait it out like I assume that everyone pretty much has either King Wilson or Fraser yeah. At least one of those. And yes, you can be disappointed this week, I think. But like, just stick with them and see what they do later on. And if after a month, Fraser's still done nothing. Because he is quite expensive at 7.5. Is that how much he is? Yeah, but he's cheaper than Wilson, who's he 8.0. Is. But there are more midfielders that maybe, I don't know. There's more midfielders to choose from anyway. Yeah. So, well, I, I looked at this a lot last season, right? Because I ended up settling on Fraser over Callum Wilson. Mm. And like that was one of the hardest decisions. For me, it was like, I can't have two Bournemouth players because like you said about Charlie, he has three. Yeah. Any week they don't do something, that's like a large portion that's of your team. That's half your team. Yeah. Because they're not, although they're cheap, like they're not sterling price. They are you know wiping out slots in your team and I never want to rely on Bournemouth every week like one player is fine and I think Fraser last season he outscored um Wilson and that was in part due to him just getting a boatload of assists although Wilson did really well assist wise as well um but also he got loads of bonus because he is a kind of player who's very involved in the game for the most part but then yesterday um Fraser would he barely touched a ball I mean he had a, had some good set piece deliveries but from what i saw like he was barely a feature in the highlights other than kicking a free kick over the bar and and taking a few corners so yeah so i i would say yeah echoing what you were saying a minute ago about bournemouth it's they're this sort of streaky team where they'll perform for 10 games in a row and then they'll not perform for 10 games in a row and you also don't know, like, it doesn't matter whether they're playing Man City or they're playing a bottom of the league team. Some days it just doesn't come off for them. And that was kind of what they had against Sheffield United. I think they came out against a team that are a lot better than you would have thought they'd, they'd be um, and caused a lot of problems for Bournemouth. But also it just didn't click. And I think Eddie Howe said as much in the post-match. He was just saying that it, they're 
attacking play like he he was pleased with what they did nullifying Sheffield United but he was not pleased with their attack attacking flow or their their the thing that they're usually so good at it it just wasn't there and I think that's what I put this down to but obviously I was a bit disappointed because I was like well I went for Fraser and day one Wilson's the one he gets the assist damn it but then next week is probably going to be Fraser and then the week after that is probably going to be King and and you're always going to have this sort of situation so nothing to be too worried about yet but um yeah an, an interesting team nevertheless uh moving on from them I've got these three all together because it was kind of equally shocking for me really um Arsenal defenders Leicester defenders and Wolves defenders all winners this week so Arsenal kept a clean sheet away from home which is uh, I think I saw someone post on Twitter earlier we've already matched that away from home clean sheet total <laughs> in just 90 minutes from uh 2018-19 so that's brilliant that's mad Leicester and Wolves I mean they played each other so I guess it's kind of a cheat and uh Wolves did have a goal disallowed but yeah these are these are teams who regularly conceded a goal a game last season and Maitland-Niles a real big winner at 5.0 and he comes with some heavy caveats but he finished on 12 points with a great assist for Aubameyang I I looked at him before. I was also looking at Callum Chambers until we signed David Luiz. And I was like, I don't know. I think Luiz might start. But Maitland-Niles, I thought, was really, really impressive um, in his defensive work, in his attacking work. The caveat with Maitland-Niles is in two weeks, we play Liverpool and then Spurs back to back. And also Hector Bellerin is going to be coming back from injury in the next few months. So I don't really know if this is a good time to be going for a, a right back at Arsenal who isn't guaranteed to be starting in the longer term and has some tricky fixtures. Um, Leicester and, and Wolves, I think it's a, if I'm looking at Leicester, I love the attack uh, and I love the midfield. But Pereira did come away with three bonus points, as did Willy Bolly. So how do you feel about these guys? I mean, I know Wolves have gone up a lot in their their prices this season, thanks yeah. to thanks to great performances last season but do you think any of these are viable i i genuinely think with wolves to wait until they inevitably get kicked out of the europa yeah um i think until then like obviously last season burnley really struggled playing these europa whatever they are playoffs to get into the actual competition um and then having to play on either the monday or the sunday after um, I don't know about Wolves' squad depth, but obviously Burnley didn't really have that, so they, everyone just had to keep playing. Yeah. I'd say... And also, Wolves' Premier League fixtures aren't that great. Are no, they? they're not. They've got Man United and then Burnley and then Everton. And um, then Chelsea. Oh, wait, that's probably a good one after today, but we'll, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'd probably, like, not get any of them in. Yeah, Yet. I think I think you've you've touched on the main point, right? It's the Europa League. It's such a problem, um, especially for teams who don't have big squads. Europa League is made for teams like Arsenal, teams like Chelsea, teams like Man United, who have a second squad that they can, uh, or a second team yeah. of, of youth players and backup players that they can put out for those games. Um, I just don't think Wolves have that and Nuno Espirito Santo is famous for preferring a small squad because he he feels like it keeps players hungrier and and makes them feel more part of the team. Um, Which is fair enough if you're only in one competition. Yeah, exactly. And it worked so well for them last season, but now they have chaos thrown into the mix. And, And generally, like if you look at the stats, I think there was only one team in the last eight seasons or so who actually didn't see a, a drastic drop-off in their points tally when playing in the Europa League um, out of, you know, teams outside of the top six, that is. Mm. So it's it's one to be wary of. And I think the pricing of the Wolves players is a real issue with that up in the air. Leicester, I feel like um, Chilwell and Pereira are both interesting options because of the potential for attacking returns. But I feel like they don't have the fixtures. I feel like there's better value in that attack. and. I'd probably say similar stuff for Arsenal, despite their clean sheet. And uh, Callum Chambers, I I would expect to be displaced by David Luiz at some point because we sure as hell didn't sign him for him to sit on the bench all the time. Yeah. 
And then the last... Um, oh, sorry. sorry. I think uh, with Leicester as well, like similarly to Bournemouth, like it's okay to be disappointed that none of their attacking players did anything this week. Yeah, really good point. But also just don't get rid of them. Don't switch one out for the other. Like It's not worth it. Like Hold on to them at least until the, the first international break. Just see how they go. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't had the benefit of the highlights yet, but from what I hear, that game was just a little bit sort of bitty, like teams that weren't really ready for the season. So it's fine. It is what it is. I've said that like five times this podcast. Oh, my God. Okay. Very love Island. <laughs> and last but not least, Man United, a fantastic performance from them. Although there are some caveats with that as well, because I feel like they could have been down a few goals early on. But Marcus Rashford and Paul Pogba, both at 8.5, and Anthony Martial all walked away with big returns. Uh, Rashford with two goals. I think Pogba got, what, two assists? Two assists, yeah. And Martial with a goal. So what do we think of these guys? Is this just a case of all of the stars are lining for Oli on day one, or is there a genuine opportunity to be had here? I really don't know, but... I like the look of it. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, we were here last season and I I can't remember what you did, but I remember I was like, nah, I'm not going near these United guys. Like, they're they're not going to do anything with with Solskjaer coming in. And then they went on to have that insanely hot run of form where like Rashford and Pogba got 10 points a game. Yeah, I did have Pogba for a little bit. I think maybe I only got one or two good games out of him though. So they play Wolves next week, uh, next Monday. He beat them um, in back-to-back games last season. So I'm very willing to just see how that goes. But then afterwards, they play Crystal Palace and Southampton. And I could be tempted. So my plan originally was to get, uh, like, Tammy Abraham in uh, for their fixtures against uh, Norwich and Sheffield. Oh, man. <laughs> but now I'm no, like, don't do that. <laughs> that's silly. I can just get Rashford instead. I think the thing about... I mean, Tammy is also at, is seven million, so it's not expensive at all. Yeah. Um, but I do think Rashford, Marshall, and Pogba are all good players, and they are priced so reasonably for how good of players they are. Yes, I appreciate that they are playing for Man United, but not the point. So I think they are definitely all options to bear in mind, but I wouldn't jump on them straight away. But I do reckon that all three of them will price rise during this week yeah because people are silly yeah and there's the fact that they're man united players and i think you've probably heard this a million times but you know man united players they rise quickly because man united have a lot of fans and Mm. but also like so rashford actually becomes like a good alternative to vardy yeah like it's not an insane kind of like thing oh yeah that's to swap one for the other like it kind of all makes sense that's absolutely going to happen. There'll be loads of people trading Vardy for Rashford and we'll probably see Rashford blank next week and Vardy score a hat-trick against Chelsea. Let's, let's not forget that's who Vardy's playing. So yeah. I wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be too worried about him. But yeah, I mean, I'm going to... Maybe this is a slightly controversial take and maybe this is going to come across as slightly biased because I don't really like Man United. And, who uh, does? Uh, who does? Yeah, exactly. Apart from Man United fans. but Yes. The issue I have with Man United is, do you remember last season when Solskjaer had just taken over and they beat Spurs 1-0? And Spurs just absolutely hammered them, but they got the one goal from a a quick counter-attack. And it was Rashford who got that goal from a Pogba long ball, I think. So almost identical to the third goal in the game today. Okay. That is basically what they did to Chelsea, because Chelsea had no... I mean, they were holding the ball deep in United's half and passing it around and losing it and then being broken against and conceding. It was it was like the most naive defending. It reminded me a lot of when Arsenal were beaten over the years, you know, 8-2 by United or 6-0 by Chelsea, where there's a sort of like cavalier approach to attack where there's no uh, cognizance of, of the potential of a counter-attack. And Chelsea just didn't cover themselves defensively at all. It, the start of this game 
the midfield was wide open. Both teams were getting in, getting really good chances. Chelsea could have been 3 0 up potentially quite early on um, if, if Abraham was maybe a bit quicker to react. And he did hit the post as well as Emerson. So it could have been, you know, easily 2 0 there. Mm. Um, the problem I have is they didn't really look good defensively until the second half and they were able to be really resolute defensively and wait to counter because they're already a goal up from a mistake from Zuma yeah and I think the fact that Chelsea did not really protect themselves against a counter-attack by throwing too many players forward and then being sloppy in their their positioning uh leaving these like wide spaces for for I mean, what is Rashford good at and, and Martial? They're just fast dribblers. So if you give them space to run into, they can they can hurt your team. I don't think Wolves are going to give them that kind of space. I think this is a, an alarm bell for every single Premier League team who saw this game. Right, we're not going to give them big wide open spaces to run into because that's how they'll score. Mm. Uh, so I think the, the issue for Man United is not that they're not capable. It's that this is the one way Solskjaer knows how to win. And as soon as a team parks bodies behind the ball and just defends against them and Man United have to control possession, that's when you start to see the problems arise. And that's why Wolves did so well against the top teams last season, because they're happy to have 30, 40 percent possession and just try and counterattack. Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of an, an issue in that I don't think they're going to be able to replicate that performance against most teams. I think it was just Chelsea played right into their hands this week. Uh, on winners, did you have any others you wanted to add before I move on to the no. losers? No, 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 that's it. Cool. Okay, so this week's losers. And again, with the caveat that it was just one week. Let's not go completely crazy. But Watford, all of their players, they looked mostly hopeless. Delafeu, who I had in my team, was subbed at half time. I was quite pleased with, like, I felt personally quite smug about the Delafeu <laughs> thing because I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it last week. I didn't like it the week before last. I didn't like it three well, weeks or you, ago. you didn't like him being in my team? or, or I didn't like him being s- in anyone's team, to okay. be honest, and I thought people would gone over the top. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's reasonably priced, but he did play on the left as well, which is a worry because he was um, he was so effective last season as a, a second striker, and... I think it's probably a fitness issue because he was Mm. carrying a knock before the game. It was uh, debated whether or not he would actually play. And in the end, Grazia said that he was going to be fine and he was really up for it. And then he was taken off at halftime when they were losing. So, oh, wait, no, they weren't. Or were they? I can't remember if they conceded in the first half or not. No, they didn't because there were no goals. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it, it it was not ideal. But I think this is just maybe a bit of rustiness from Watford they need to pick it up <laughs> they do actually have a very interesting matchup next week against Everton so it's sort of like a uh, a very stoppable object versus an easily movable movable force isn't it it's the team who cannot score versus the team who constantly fail to keep clean sheets uh Everton obviously being the team who can't score I think Watford I, I looked it up earlier they have 13 failures to get clean sheets in a row so in the Premier League they're they're not so good for the old uh, clean sheets uh but Brighton's starting strikers also lost uh Marion Lacardia we talked about that earlier and popular preseason pick Trossard didn't play at all yeah I'm keeping him in my team. I do not know what the situation is, but I think that from what I gather, uh, Graham Potter was kind of giving his uh, giving his trust to the players who would played more in preseason and, you know, who'd been there for a while and just trusting their experience. I think as time goes on, much like we saw with the likes of Torreira and Leno at Arsenal last season, I think these guys will eventually start to displace the uh, the old guard, but... I still think the likes of Lacardia, I mean, he's still quite a young player compared to Murray. I think there could be a fair amount of rotation there, but they'll all get some playing time. Um, West Ham, but what what else could we really expect? I mean, they're a little unlucky to not come away with a goal. Edison made some really big saves. I thought their front four did carry a threat. Lanzini at 6.5 and Allaire at 7.5. Both looked pretty threatening. I think Allaire had some really nice touches. The defence looked shocking as ever, but it was against Sterling, who was clearly desperate for goals. And there was some good VAR, good VAR in this game. 
which I found very entertaining. Um, Everton and Palace attackers, again, we already kind of talked about this earlier, but a lack of chance creation from Sigurdsson and Richarlison. But fortunately, they do face Watford next, who, as I mentioned, haven't kept a clean sheet in any of their last 13 Premier League games. Uh, Southampton and Chelsea's entire teams. Chelsea, I, I, I mean, we were right not to go all in on these guys yeah. early on. I'm really glad that I rehauled my team and took Pulisic out. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he, I mean, even he couldn't save them. He came on and showed some nice touches. I thought Pedro also showed some nice touches, but I mean, and Tammy almost nearly scored in the first like five minutes. Yeah, or yeah. He was really bad in the second half. I I wonder what happens whether Giroud starts the next game or whether he keeps faith with Tammy because or maybe someone should put Batsway in the squad. Yeah, was he not in the squad at all? Nope. Hmm, I wonder why that is. Uh, Southampton, on the other hand, actually this is a bit of a, a a cheeky one because I think Southampton, they had some good chances early on and they, they really did dominate the first half. And it kind of feels like Hasenhutl's team, had, I mean, the one thing I, I pinpointed while watching Match of the Day is that Vestergaard looks like the new Mustafi. Um, oh my God, you know what I said when we were watching Match of the Day? I was like, you know why Southampton didn't like did so terribly in this game? Vestergaard. Yeah, he he does seem to be a problem, and I think he's he, a lumbering idiot. He's very slow, isn't he? And, and the thing is, he seems to get caught out on the basics quite often. So there was a what goal was it? It was the I can't remember who scored it. Probably Barnes. It would have been one of the Barnes goals, but basically <laughs> there was a, a simple ball over the top, and Vestergaard just stood still. And it it was identical to a preseason goal that was scored by um, Luis Suarez against Mustafi in Chambers uh, playing for Arsenal, where Mustafi looked, he saw the man was about to play the ball, and then he just stood still as it went over his head. Put Yoshida back in, damn it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Southampton, what you'll see is they are a little bit like Bournemouth this season. You know, they'll have games where it'll click and attack and they'll get a few goals because Che Adams was was a player that I brought in for day one and quite early on he had a really good chance that most of the the Southampton fans at the other end thought was in um but he just didn't really connect with it and I feel like they created enough moving on from that Spurs defense Vertonghen missed out uh Pochettino said it was a tactical decision I don't know what this means for for his future but they conceded a goal as well against Villa which I guess many people wouldn't have expected and they have City next so maybe be a little bit worried about that oh wait yeah most new signings also so with the exception of Ndombele, uh, Mopai, Wan-Bissaka and Eric Peters most major signings either found themselves on the bench or just didn't really make an impact uh, and Maguire did you say Maguire oh I forgot Maguire but yeah Maguire is another one um, but yeah Pepe Pulisic uh, or Pulisic guys like him didn't make an impact but it's all good because you know we've got loads of time to to look at getting them later in the season okay let us look at ads analysis domestic league so you can find the code for this on our twitter uh if you want to follow us it's at the denalysis naturally and uh natalie do you want to tell us who the best performers in our league were this week yes we have joint top scorers for this game week congratulations wow uh with 105 points each uh, Pete Haley and Neil Davies. Really, I am going to give it to Pete because Neil Davies uses triple captain on Salah. Oh, naughty, naughty. But Pete managed to do it with no chips. Yeah. 105 points with no chips, I think, is extremely impressive. Yeah. I, I, res- I respect the day one triple captain, though. It- it's kind of got to be quite freeing to just be done with that after day one. A lot more people use the chip day one uh than i was expecting yeah this season the, a lot of bad bench boosts with, with like only 11 players playing yeah like i don't believe there's a wrong time to play any of your no that's not true i don't believe there's a wrong time to play a triple captain at <laughs> no, all no, because like, you just never know but your bench boost i don't believe should be played on the first game week of the season purely because you have no idea who is and isn't going to start well, that's exactly it. There's there's only one wrong time to play any chip, and it's day one bench boost. Like f- for the reasons you just said, like you don't know who's gonna start, so why risk it? But some yeah. people did, and some people did with players who 
And I wonder if there's a little bit of me just being sort of elitist because, you know, we're like FPL nerds who like follow this stuff quite closely. But I saw players at like Begovic who <laughs> clearly just weren't going to play. And I'm like, I, I, I don't understand why you've used it with like him and, and like Greenwood from United and stuff yeah. like that. Like, no, man, that's not smart. But hey, it, it's you know do whatever you want with your team it's fine Mm. i'm not mad so congrats to pete and neil yeah well done pete and neil much respect to you okay uh let's look ahead to game week two and what to do probably nothing i I suppose crying mostly yeah no change you see the problem is that the fixtures are pretty horrible well this is it so i very much looked at my team as a i I took a holistic approach right i was like (laughs) i want something that it's not just going to serve me for day one, uh, but it's going to serve me for, you know, four or five weeks, hopefully. Yeah. Which is why I picked Fraser, because I was like, that guy has been consistent as hell last season. Uh, same for, for guys like Aubameyang. And I like the look of Southampton's fixtures outside of Liverpool. Uh, Man City are reliable. And Leicester, I think they look really, really good for for the fixtures they have. But... Yeah, looking at this week, I mean, Man City playing Spurs, that's not ideal. Arsenal playing Burnley at 12.30, so I can't captain Aubameyang. What's going on? Yeah, it's a Salah captain. You reckon? I don't have him, though. That's a problem. Oh, okay, so well, Salah away. Well, you to captain someone who isn't Salah. Okay, I'll try that. I'll try my best. <laughs> I, I think for me it's going to be Sterling just because it's a, the 5.30 game on Saturday. Um, Against Spurs? Are you okay? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't that impressed with their defence. And I think Sterling... Okay, so a little bit of background. Like, the reason I went for Sterling over Salah, one, is because I was a little bit worried that Salah would be um, a little bit unfit or a little bit, you know, not match sharp. I, I look at those and they've played a lot of football and I thought Salah, you know, he's he's played in the summer. Um, I thought he looked okay in the community shield, but he missed a lot of chances. And I thought Sterling, on the other hand, got a goal early on, looks really, really sharp. I'm going to go for Sterling and I'm going to captain him. And it's the same thing here. I mean, I I don't think Spurs are on a level with Man City, really, Um, especially not this early in the season when the players are fit. And Aubameyang, at 12.30 against Burnley. I mean, without Pepe starting, I mean, he might start that game, but I don't know. It just seems like too much of a risk. So are there any standout fixtures for you? Would you reckon? No, it's really horrible. Also, sorry, um, Chelsea and Man City play midweek in the most pointless fixture I've ever heard of. Oh, okay. That's good. What's that? The uh, The Super Cup. I didn't actually know that was this week, but that's cool. Yes, it's on Wednesday, I think. Yeah. Um, so that's some nonsense to bear in mind if in in whatever realm you're living in where you think you're going to get players from either of those teams in. Yeah. Uh, just bear in mind. I guess maybe just to bear in mind. Oh, is it Chelsea-Liverpool, not yeah. Chelsea-Man City? Yeah, no, Sorry. that's it. Right, yeah. Apologies, I was everyone. The fixture then. was so stupid that I forgot <laughs> who was playing in it because it's so dumb. So believe it or not, that was actually another one of my reasons for not going for Salah. It's like I knew they had this random fixture at the the start of the season. I just didn't know I when it was. I hope that they just both put out like Ute teams because like who cares who wins yeah, this? Yeah, I, I do wonder. It'll be very interesting to see because I think knowing how Klopp was treating the Community Shield, I think he wanted to win it, but... Lampard after his oh you know it could be interesting because Lampard after that result he he surely wants to get a win over a big team like you have to try don't you I don't I wouldn't bother if it were me yeah I don't know I think it politically it weakens him if he puts out a weak team for that game because to throw a game after you've just been hammered 4-0 by Man United is is not a good look but hey you never know and I do think that has actually turned my attention to Sunday, Chelsea versus Leicester. Maybe a little Iose Perez captain <laughs> or a little T-Elements. I would definitely play, um, play your Leicester attackers in this. Oh, I'm playing sure. them. I'm hella playing them. I can't wait for this. It's going to be great. Um, but yeah, I still don't know if I'd captain. I have actually just moved my vice captain to Vardy. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I'm not strong enough to captain on it. It's the thing is, it's a, some of these fixtures are a little bit annoying that they've come this early in the season. For example, Villa, Bournemouth, and Norwich, Newcastle. Like later on in the season, it might be interesting to look at. Oh, what could Villa do at home against Bournemouth, and the same for Norwich against Newcastle? But because we're so early on, and we don't want to make like knee-jerk transfers, yeah. There's nothing we can really do other than sit back and watch and see what happens. Yeah, I know what you mean because you get as the season and Sheffield and Crystal Palace is exactly the same as well. Sorry. Yeah, as the season goes on, you get a sort of tally in your head or like a a, a league table in your head of like this team is better than this team is better than this team is better than yeah. this team. And at the moment, it's just so hard to know where to place these these promoted teams without projecting or on speculation. Essentially, you know, I could look at that. I could read Aston Villa one of two ways. I could be like, they're amazing in the first 60, 70 minutes against Spurs. And that means that they're going to be better than Bournemouth. Or I could read that they really, really tired and Bournemouth are going to target the last 20 minutes and put three or four goals past them. So you could kind of take it whichever way your mind wants to go. And that's the very hard thing about fantasy. Like you, you very often see what you want to see and that's where it's maybe a good idea to start looking at things like statistics or maybe just just waiting and seeing because, you know, one week of, even if you look at stats a lot, one week of, of performances is not enough um, to make any real judgments. And one of the things like, and I guess this is particularly more useful for um for newer players but one of the things I used to do I always used to wildcard like game week three and just completely replace my team with with rubbish because I'd put in a load of players that scored the first two weeks and all of my players that I had who are actually quite good they just hadn't returned would score that week and my new ones would do rubbish and I didn't really set myself up for like the next five or six weeks I just got in the players who had done well in week one and two and I think yeah. that's it's very easy to fall in that trap of especially if you have two kind of average or bad weeks, you start to think the game week one and two players are the be all and end all. But there's there's always value in looking at the fixtures ahead and and really starting to collect a bit more information before before throwing away your team, essentially, especially if you've got people who have been historically reliable or people who had good seasons last year, I think is worth holding fire on that. But um, what do you think for a little clean sheet cup prediction? How do you feel about that, huh? Would you like to hear how you did last week? I'd love to. I think I said Arsenal. Did I say Arsenal? You did say Arsenal. Yes. <laughs> Day one, I win. I can't believe but it. I also said Burnley, so... Uh, so we both win. We both win. Oh, but that's good because it means I don't have a curse. And those two teams play each other this week. Should we just say the same teams again and see who wins? No. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, I don't mind. Did you go first last week? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, you went first last week, so should I go first this week okay. just for fairness? Yeah, we're, we're all about fairness. Are we? I don't know. Maybe. Um, Never really thought about it, to be honest. This is really hard this week. This is horrible. Everton, Watford, nil-nil. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Okay, I love it. Yeah, because that makes perfect sense, actually. It's a... Well, actually, no, it doesn't. Because Watford love to concede. Yeah. But Everton can't score. Yeah. How does... Oh, God. See, this is what I'm talking about. How do you, how do you project who's better there? Like, they're both opposites. Okay, so you're saying nil-nil. So that's a big call for early in the season. Thank you. Just out of curiosity, like, early in the season... Do you think it's good to take like risky captain picks or do you think it's good to just stay safe? Oh, I definitely think it's good to take risky ones because I captained Mendy in like the second week mm. of last season, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think it's fun because you have so much less to lose yeah. at this stage because whatever you do, you can always claw it back. Like, So last season, I think I was doing like a sensible captain, a silly captain, yeah. a sensible captain, a silly captain. Yeah. And you just see how, it go- and if our, if one week it goes really badly, then you can just rectify it the next week. Yeah. Like, you know, people, like people who don't get their teams in before the deadlines and stuff on the first game week, by like game week six, seven, you don't even notice because as long as their team isn't terrible, hmm. they've usually like caught up and they're amongst all the other teams. Yeah. So yeah, I really think 
if you if you are going to take risks at any point, you might as well do it now just for fun. It's fun. It's a game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at, you know, Man City versus Spurs or Leicester versus Chelsea. And I'm thinking that is one where it seems like not a crazy risk to go for a Leicester one because the, the City fixture is still hard, quote unquote. Yeah. So um, there's probably like a calculated risk. But for my clean sheet cup, I'm going to say... Part of me wants to say Everton, but again, I think Watford know they need to improve and I don't want to curse my Luca Dean pick. So I'm actually going to go in a, a very edgy take. I'm going to go uh, go for Arsenal again. Okay. At home against Burnley, early kickoff, bish bash bosh, done nice and early and I'll know if I've won or not. And I just thought their defence was surprisingly calm today. There was no, like, no Mustafi in the squad there were none of the calamitous panic moments, and it just felt it felt like a different Arsenal. Lovely. All right, fantastic. Well, that about wraps it up for today's edition of the Denalysis Fantasy Football Podcast. You can actually contact us in a number of ways. Um, you can hit us up on email. Uh, our email address is hello at the You can ask us any questions or, you know, say how great we are, whatever it is that's on your mind, really. Um, over there, you can follow us on Twitter at the Denalysis. You can also rate and review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. We much appreciate that. If you give us a little five star rating, maybe write some words like Dan and Nat, they're really great guys. I really like them. They really make my week excellent you can do Aww. that and that is uh that'd be really cool because you know we shoot up the itunes charts and whatnot and and get famous even though aren't they discontinue itunes soon they're just fully uh, they're, they're like apple apple podcast is yeah. a separate app it's fine yeah they're shuttering it all um what else was there join our league our league code is on our twitter uh is there anything else to do anything else good Oh, subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already so you can get episodes yeah. every week. That'd be great uh, on your preferred podcast service. I think we're on Spotify now, aren't we? Yes, definitely. 100%. And I'm going to put us on YouTube this week because I kind of know how to use video editing software now. So that's all good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Wicked. All right. Thank you, Nat, for your time. And we'll see y'all next week. Bye.